When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Be sure to listen all the way through on this episode so you can hear Coach Liz and I for our monthly Miles of Books. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Sham, joined today by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. We are both on family, extreme family duty. Uh, Sounds kind of like a reality TV show. (laughs) We are. August is the month of family for me, and I know for you, too. I am in a rented house in West Virginia, which is Mm. um, close. It was to escape the Savannah heat. (laughs) And uh, and my daughter has joined uh, my boyfriend and I at, at the house, and we are close to my sister, so that we can um, going to go spot her for a couple of trips that she can do because she lives with and takes care of my my mother who's ninety five. So wow. we're going to go stay with her so she can go out of state to visit her grandchildren and also for another trip she's going to go and run the Annapolis Ten Miler, which is oh. a really big deal race in these parts. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of an iconic race. I love that she has you to come and and do that. It seems fitting that you be there so she can go off and run that race. Yes. Yeah. So of course the question was, oh, but do you want to come run it with me? (laughs) No, that's okay. You go run the race. (laughs) It is 10 miles at the end of August in Annapolis. I was just about to say, I mean, I, I got sweaty just thinking about that. I know, kind of hot. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take a break from that. So you, you go run that race. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, we used to, Dimity and I used to always go to the Zuma Annapolis race, that women's race. And that was, I want to say that was maybe in May. And I, I think that's when, and I just remember one year, it was so, so beastly hot. And yeah, humid. and 10 miles is a long way when it's hot and humid. So good mm-hmm. good for everybody who's doing that. You go, mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So I have my college daughter at home for the, for, or, or with us for the, the month of August, and she's going to be a rising sophomore next year. And mm-hmm. I know you are getting ready mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. a son to college, right? Yes, yes. So, John, we take Jack, my husband, and I take John out to Montclair, New Jersey to go to his freshman year at Montclair State University, which is in beautiful, beautiful Montclair, New Jersey, which is just outside of Manhattan, as you know, as a former New Jersey resident-ish. It's like like another borough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, it, it is. It's very sophisticated. I really like that it's not just, you know, kind of the gap next to uh, Chipotle, you know, it's, it's, it has independent retailers and cafes and restaurants. Yeah. And, and, uh, and bookstores and Mm -hmm. um, movie theaters. It's really a cool, it's a really cool town. Yeah. And an art museum. Yeah. And so, and then it also has a um, 9-11 memorial situation. 
situated up on a very high hill because mm-hmm. on the hills there in Montclair, you get this amazing view of the skyline of Manhattan. And um, they're about, I guess, 12, maybe 15 miles away from Manhattan. So that yeah. was that was the big draw. And John is going to be a musical theater BFA student. They have a really, really strong, well-respected musical theater program. It's going to be a dance and Japanese minor. Oh, my gosh, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So he uh, during the uh, pandemic lockdown, he started to teach himself Japanese via Duolingo. And shout out, there's a lot of Duolingo fans in the Mother Runner community myself included. <laughs> I, I learned Spanish. And so then through his school, he was able to take three college level Japanese courses via a community college. It was right across from his high school. So he was just kind of talking to the people at Montclair State and they were like, you know, you're kind of about halfway, if not more of the way to a minor in Japanese. So wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and he just is kids today. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> that is just so amazing. <laughs> Ooh, so Jack and I are t- taking John out there. I think we are staying too long, but uh, he's the first kid that we're dropping off at college. His twin sister Daphne doesn't start school for another month up in Seattle ah. at, C- at Seattle University. And their older sister goes to school here in Portland, Portland State, and she never lived downtown at on campus or anything. So we've never moved a kid into a dorm before. I was like, well, we're going all the way across the country. And so we're going to be there for, I think, five nights in a swanky Airbnb, a whole house that comes complete with two kitties. Very excited. (laughs) That is exciting. But you know what? I was telling my daughter that that you were coming and Mm -hmm. and you were staying. And she's like, she said, that's really common for people who are out of state. Oh, Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, Nina. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, I mean, we are, you know, as I said, it's right outside of New York City. So since John's so into musical theater, we got tickets to Hadestown on Broadway. So we're going in to see that. So cool. Mm -hmm, Very excited. Although my beloved Betty Who, who longtime listeners of the show will know I've seen her numerous times in concert. She's a uh, kind of under the radar, in my mind, pop star. And she is going to be starting in Hadestown, but not until September. I'm uh, like, oh, no. Uh, well, that just means you'll have to come back. Yes, and go There's going to be that parents weekend. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> and, uh, and then my best friend who lives in Catskill, New York, she's going to come down and spend a day with us. Oh, cool. And so, yeah you know, turning it into a vacation in Montclair, New Jersey. Well, and you know, Montclair is like, I, I there's a train and a bus right mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the city, like right in the heart of Montclair. So, you know, you, you can, I mean, you can do so many cool things in Montclair, but you can also go to the city really easily. So. Exactly. Yeah. There are two train stations on the campus of MSU oh. and, but they only run Monday through Friday because I guess it is pretty much for commuters, traditional commuters. Right. Are there still any traditional commuters left in this world? But Right. (laughs) (laughs) So and then a bus runs all the other time as well as I think on Monday through Friday. So yeah, yeah. So we will be doing that and I will be just sobbing buckets. Oh, that was the next question. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. I am. You know, I've been thinking about this, Tish. You and I um, have been emailing a bit about it. And I now for big confessional time, like for years and years, I was dreading and anticipating what my reaction would be when my mother died. Both my parents lived into their 90s and my uh, mother 
uh, live longer than my father. And I just thought, I am going to be so devastated when my mother dies. And ultimately, you know, I was sad about it, but she was 95 and a half. And I was, I was okay with that. You know, it was, it was expected. And I, I would say rebounded pretty quickly. And I'm suddenly like, oh my gosh, I don't think I, I prepared myself enough for how upset I'm going to be about this. Yeah. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. I, mm-hmm. I I feel it. I really feel that. You know, yeah. my my daughter went to college close to New Jersey, where she grew up, where where I raised her. But but mm-hmm. then I moved, so mm-hmm. you know, she's kind of in in our home area. But I moved down to Savannah, Georgia, and uh, you know, it's it's um it's really been a hard process. It's you know, mm-hmm. it's been a year, and um, so you know thrilled whenever I see her but at the end of each time I see her it's like oh my heart mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah because also I don't want to I don't want to put that burden on him a hundred percent hundred percent and I also don't want to wish away my life that I, d- I don't want to think about like well I'm probably not going to see John in October so I just wish October would be done with and right it's, it's like the older I get the faster time goes anyway and and I only get one go round on this earth. Yeah. So, so, so I got to and I, you know, I have a, a pretty full life outside of my kids. You do. Yeah. As we, we all know. Yeah. So, so, I, you know, there's, there's, pickleball only, so, for there's starters. only so much pickleball one can play. <laughs> and, you know, I, I can't, I can't open water swim much past the middle of October. So, huh, yeah. So anyway, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep people updated about it because actually our neighbor across the street is a therapist and she recommended something that's uh, kind of revolutionary that I might be trying. And that's kind of all I'm willing to say at this moment. So um, Ooh, I'll, I'll interesting. All right. Yes. That's a mm-hmm. cliffhanger. I'm, I'm yeah. very curious because maybe it can help me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, and I will still have my beloved Daphne John's twin in town until September 15th. But the funny thing is, is as we're recording this, it's August 16th. And so yesterday was the one month left until Daphne leaves. And I tell you, she was doing more to prep for her college departure a month out than John is doing what, like six days out, a week out. (laughs) She came down with two huge bags of garbage. And I'm like, yes, I love my self-sufficient child. (laughs) Not to make any sweeping gender gender generalizations, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) but mm -hmm. there is, I see a difference there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, this weekend, I think, will be a lot of flurry of, of packing. Flurry of activity, that, yeah. yes. Yeah, and you know, but the thing is, is I'm like, well, it, yeah, like, I'm, this is so silly, and then, then we'll get onto the topic, but... Do you remember, did you have one of those things we call uh, the big pillows? We called them husbands when I was in college. They are the um, kind of pillow backrests that have arms on them so that you can sit on a bed in, make it kind of an airsats chair. Yes. Yes. So yeah. my daughter took one because she was in the sm- world's smallest dorm room yes. that she shared with someone. So like that was the only place to sit. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, so I'm like, oh, do I order one? Do I not order one? Order. And I'm like, Sarah? You can get there, load him in on Wednesday, order it, and it will be there Thursday. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> do not lose sleep over this. Move on to the next thing that's making you lose sleep. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's the easiest way to do it, honestly. 
mm-hmm. when you're coming from mm-hmm. Oregon mm-hmm. and going to New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, I do have to give a special shout out to Kelly, who is a longtime member of the Another Mother Runner community, and she lives three miles from Montclair State University, and she has graciously allowed me to ship you know, bedding and towels and all that stuff to her house. And we're going to pick it up before we do the move in. And I even because I am a demanding youngest child, I even was like, Kelly, is there any chance you could wash the sheets and the towels before I pick them up? She's like, the only only question I have is fabric softener or no fabric softener. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, you're a good person. Seriously, seriously good person. Wow. Um, So, and she is going to be John's Aunt Kelly while he is at MSU. So awesome. Yeah. So, shout out and gratitude to Kelly. Um, All right. Well, today we have a repeat guest. It is Tina Muir. She joined us back in 2017 talking about her personal struggle with amenorrhea. And Tina is now, happy news, the mother of two preschool age daughters. Tina is a former elite marathoner who ran for the national team of Great Britain. Tina won the 2019 Disney World Half Marathon, wearing a tutu, Natch. Tina is the founder and CEO of Running for Real and hosts the Running for Real podcast. Tina is also the co-author, along with Zoe Rome, of a book that debuted this month called Becoming a Sustainable Runner, A Guide to Running for Life, Community, and Planet. Welcome back to the show, Tina. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, be here. And I'm glad you mentioned that I ran in a tutu because that is definitely the most important piece. Of <laughs> we have our priorities. <laughs> so Tina, Sarah just was saying that you had been an elite marathoner for Great mm-hmm. Britain and then you retired from formal competition, but you are still running races like uh, the Disney World Half Marathon and other races and participating in races. And so tell us where you are with your running today. Yeah, I've taken a bit of a journey, actually. Um, So that Disney race, uh, despite wearing the tutu, despite uh, running it at Disney World, I still couldn't quite let go of that competitive elite side of me. And then a few months later, I ran Boston and ran 25 minutes slower than my personal best, but really gave it everything and hated it the entire way. And so after that race, I was like, all right, something has to give here. Like, I'm not running anywhere near where I used to be, but I just, I can't keep doing this. And so over that, since that time, I've kind of been on this journey to rediscover what my running means to me. And also just find peace with wherever I was at or am at. Uh, I did have another daughter in that time. And so that kind of obviously brought its own ups and downs of, you know, what what my body was physically able to handle. But after my second daughter, I was really able to start listening and learning. And the way I began getting back into racing was running primarily as a guide for visually impaired runners. Um, Mm. So I did, I've done a lot of that over the last few years. I've done I think four marathons and I think I've only done 11 total. So if that tells you anything, I've done four marathons, multiple halves, many other races as a guide. I also ran Boston this year with my friend Kaylee, who has Down syndrome. So I've done a lot of giving back because I felt like that first part of my career was uh, self-serving, selfish, something like that. So a lot of my running recently has been that. However, a few months ago, I decided to try ultra running. Actually, I decided to try ultra running about two years ago, but life just seemed to be telling me not yet because I had three races that week of two of which my kids sabotaged, one with COVID Mm -hmm. and one with this nasty flu. Mm. 
And then the third one, I fell over in the trails. And then finally this year, I was able to run and uh, it went very well. And so now I'm kind of trying to figure out how I can enter back into maybe a bit more of a competitive space without falling down the traps that I fell into last time and without seeing it as this like do or die situation. So Mm. it's kind of an evolving journey. Mm. Mm. And what distance was the ultra? It was a 50 mile, 50 mile, yeah, race or 52 officially, but yeah. I'm learning that ultra races, they never really are what they say they are. So <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> a, a very long way. <laughs> yes, but you can't, like, I shouldn't really be saying the 52 because real ultra runners are like, no, you just you just say what it's supposed to be and you just swallow the last bit of the miles <laughs> and pretend they're not there. So I'm not there yet. I'm still like, it was actually 52. So give me the 52 recognition. Shout out to 52. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, all right. In 2021, you began collaborating with the United Nations. So what does that entail? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was a very surreal time um, saying that I was working alongside them, but they had reached out to me for, I can't remember the first time when it was, but It might have even been that 2021, but they said they were doing a campaign for World Humanitarian Day and they wanted to get a few athletes involved. They really believed that sport was a powerful way to get the message across about climate change and particularly what is going on in the global south. And so they partnered with a few of us. We had to make some videos and then they offered to do a one-off podcast episode with me where we could draw attention to a few of the other athletes they were focusing on. And so it was a collaboration episode. And then from there, I just started working with them. They would bring me on their, these videos they were doing. They would have me write articles for them. It's just ways of them. They're really trying to utilize sports as a way of, of really getting the message across about various topics. But primarily for me, it's climate change. And yeah, it was just a really cool experience to be able to, to work with them and you know, there's this giant thing that all of us know, but never really know much about. So it was fun and just opened my eyes to how I could view sport and what what was possible with the messaging. Very, very cool. And you recently published a book that kind of ties in with that theme called Becoming a Sustainable Runner. And the book has got three parts. So sustain your runner's mind and body, sustain your running community, and sustain your planet. So can you tell us, like, what does it mean to become a sustainable runner? Yeah, thank you for that question. Because I think when I say that the book is Becoming a Sustainable Runner, or people that know me who who I say I'm writing a book, they immediately jump to the planet side of things. Oh, this is going to be a book where they lecture me about becoming a vegan and not flying <laughs> and telling me if I drive my car to work, I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> but actually, it's only a third of the book is about that. Because as I mentioned just a few minutes ago with my own running journey, we can't care for the planet we can't care for those around us in our communities if we are not able to care for ourselves and get ourselves to a place where we have the space and the capacity and the boundaries to be able to do that. Um, And particularly with this audience here, when you're a parent, I mean, that adds a whole new element of it to make it even more difficult to take care of yourself because you have you know, these people in your life who need so much from you. And so that's often an area that gets neglected is your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your body and what running means to you. So 
to me, becoming a sustainable runner is incorporating all three of those areas that build into one another because uh, we can't have can't really have one without the other. If we're too focused on what we are doing and our own self, our communities are going to get neglected. The planet is going to be not given a second thought. And so these all build off each other. But I really wanted to show people that it is possible. And, and you both know this. Your audience knows this. I mean, that your running career, your running accomplishments. And when I say the word career, I don't necessarily mean me as an elite runner. I just mean anyone who runs doesn't have to be someone who is constantly training to run a BQ or doesn't have, it doesn't have to be about just leaving everything out there all the time. It, it speaks to sometimes we might go through periods where running is less to us, or sometimes it might mean, as I mentioned myself, there's a lot of giving back. So it's about finding this lifelong relationship that's more than just races mm. and results. I love that finding a lifelong relationship with it because so many of us do say we want to be lifelong runners, meaning we hope that our body functions that whole time, but to also talk about the lifelong relationship and, and how that might change over time as well. So, mm. but that's also part of it in that, like, you know, you, if you want to be able to have your body be able to run for life, you need to listen to it. And if you're stuck in that mindset of, I want to achieve, I want to do, I've got to dig, go past the pain. You're not going to listen to those warning signs. And that is when you're going to end up with these chronic things that last for many years and make you reach a point where you're like, I just can't do this mm -hmm. anymore. But if we get out of that mentality, it means a few days off here or there is like, well, that's okay. Cause I, there's other pieces of it and other pieces mm -hmm. of you that matter. So it's just less important in the, in the small, you know, times where running, uh, where maybe you have pushed a little bit too far and you have mm -hmm. to back mm -hmm. off. Right. So, so let's chunk up our conversation into its three sections, kind of like Taylor Swift grouped her songs mm -hmm. on the Eras tour. <laughs> and uh, starting with sustaining your runner's mind and body, why is it important to find your why in running? And what's your why, Tina? Oh, I haven't been asked that question yet. <laughs> <Woo -hoo>! um, <laughs> why is, well, and that's, that's one that, you know, is, uh, it's something that we talk about, but no one actually ever throws it back at me. So um, <laughs> I'm, you're going to get my real life on the spot answer here. <laughs> Why is it important? I think, you know, based on what I just mentioned there, there is something that drives each of us to get out there and run and do the things that we need to do. You know, as we get older, maybe doing some drills or strength training or things that we wouldn't have done in the past, but allow us to keep running healthy. There's also uh, the focus of by figuring out what your why is, you can know what is going to help you to do the things that you need to do, but get out there on the days that you're struggling or when it's humid, deciding to get up early so that you can get your runs done before the before it gets too hot. And so it really becomes like a value system where you know what is guiding you and it allows you to move into that, particularly when get, things get hard to keep you going or maybe to to just kind of allow you to pause and rest and reset, knowing your long-term goals essentially through what your why is. So for me, mine has definitely evolved over time. Uh, I love to be able to challenge myself, but for me, I would say it's actually mostly about being outside to connect with nature, feel you know, feel the ground that I'm running on, the land that I'm you know fortunate to be here on, and just that way to to center myself and take things slower in terms of just reconnecting with the world around me. And so my why is just finding that connection with the earth, with the world, mm -hmm. 
that I don't tend to get in the rest of my daily life. And that's what drives me to seek out new places, but also allows me to get out the door on those days that I really don't feel like it because I can lean into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So, and that kind of leads us back to the sustainability piece of this. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about this idea of clearing out the clutter that you have in your book. Mm-hmm. So what does clear out the clutter mean for a runner and how does it help sustain life as a runner? Yeah, I think this is something that's very interesting. And you can probably both attest to this better than me, but I think we spoke to a lot of things that other running books haven't, but also wouldn't be what people would particularly think about. And and a lot of that comes down to accepting and appreciating where you are in your life. So that's recognizing that we all feel frazzled and like life is hectic and we never get a minute. And those things you know, stress is stress at the end of the day. So even if our training isn't where it used to be, if we have a lot going in our life, that is going to impact us and it's going to affect us. So we spoke to the big life changes, you know, like going through a divorce or moving house or having a baby. But we also spoke to the day-to-day things that can come up in life. And, you know, parenting young children uh, for me has definitely been one of those. And so we really tried to have people consider all the factors in their life that could be accumulating to the way that they're feeling and thinking about ways that we can make small changes within life to make your quality of life go up, but also to make things more focused and consistent and where you want them to be. And we gave some ideas within the book. You know, we talked about meditation and how meditation doesn't have to mean sitting on a cushion for 45 (laughs) minutes on the beach, Mm -hmm. but it can be like one minute or five minutes. Uh, We also talked about you know, the the social media side of things of how that can really affect us when we're seeing how good everyone else is doing and it makes us feel like we're not enough. So we really spoke to that not enoughness that we, most of us tend to feel in daily life and, and help hopefully help people find a way through it and just consider how that's impacting them. Mm. Well, that leads right into our next question, that feeling of not enoughness. And you mentioned social media. How do you avoid comparison traps, both with other runners and your former self. I suspect you've had a bit of that since retiring from pro running and you alluded to some of that earlier. You're 25 minutes slower at Boston. Yeah, I I definitely struggled with that more than I think I thought I would at the beginning. I knew, you know, coming back from having my first daughter that I wasn't going to jump straight back into elite running and I didn't want to go there. It was very humbling to see that I was working very hard and, as I said, ran that much slower than what I used to. And granted, for most people listening, the time I ran would be a time people would have been over the moon with. But it's, you know, running is relative. We all know what that means to us. And so I definitely struggled with comparing to the past, but also yeah, we live in this world where Strava is where runners spend a lot of our time. We log in and we see how fast other people are running, how much other people are running. You see how committed other people are and it can make you feel like your training isn't enough. And we gave an example in the book of, you know, finishing a 20 mile run and being so proud of yourself. You've never done this before. I haven't done this in a long time. And then you go to upload it and you're feeling so confident. And then you see someone else did 24 miles in the time it took you to do 20. And all of a sudden, your 20 mile feels like it's not even worth sharing about. And so we really tried to make people aware that those comparison things, even if you're not at a high level, and you're just someone who is doing it to do it, 
it can really impact your belief in yourself. It can, you know, really affect how much you're enjoying your running. If you're constantly seeing things that make you feel like nothing you ever do will be fast enough. And, and that, you know, as, as the quote, many of us know, comparison is the thief of joy. I can't remember who wrote that quote, but I should actually get that down. Um, but it, uh, you know, that, and it's true, right. That we, live in a world of comparison and it's so easy to do so we just wanted to alert people to that and make them think about how that could be impacting them and what can be done to minimize that in future yeah and to your point one does not have to have been an elite runner to fall into that comparison trap and like i can speak as somebody who's been running for many years probably more years than you've been alive and and what happens is you know you you get slower as you get old and you can compare yourself to your former self and beat yourself trying to up trying to get faster you know air quotes faster and and it, yes. and it's definitely a trap that that one needs to avoid <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break to hear from the brands that let us bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. Our conversation will continue shortly. Tina, you have also mentioned that giving back, right, has given you some sustenance in your running. And that leads into your uh, next part of your book called Sustain Your Community. So after you quit running professionally, you launched a podcast, a business, Running For Real. And it's almost ironic that like giving back <laughs> has brought you more joy in your mm-hmm. own running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that when I quit running, I'd already planned on launching Running For Real at that point. It was almost ready to go when I quit. So about a month before was when I quit. And in that month, I thought, God, no one's going to want to hear from me. They're going to be like, who's that has been that has nothing to say? Like, if you want to, if you want us to listen to you, you better get it back out there because you're a quitter. And so, you know, all that inner critic stuff was going on internally. But I noticed that not only did people still want to hear from me, still respect me, and in many ways respect me more because of not being this like godlike superhero that they had always seen of like me saying, oh, yeah, you know, my my easy run pace is seven minute pace. Yeah. And suddenly I was like a human being again. But also <laughs> it was for me, I, I really noticed how good it felt to be the cheerleader for people, to be the person that said, you got this, to find other ways to show that. And the best way I can describe this is when I ran uh, Boston 2022, the first time I'd done it since that 2019 run. Oh no, was it 2021? I think whatever the first Boston back after the pandemic was, I think it was 22. 22 in the um, fall of 22, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that was it. Um, and Kyle had said to me, who I was running with, he's like, did you just know where all the photographers were at? And I said, no, I just <laughs> was just happy the whole way. I was really loving it. And so even though people thank me and they say, wow, you're so giving, you're so amazing for doing this. I'm like, actually, I'm the one receiving the gift here. This is the greatest joy for me to be working as a team and you hear people say that to you when you're guiding like people say go team you're doing a great job team and that is the best feeling for me and it just fills my cup all the way to the top so I have now realized how much of running I was giving up uh, and how much joy I was giving up by only focusing on performance and granted there's a certain level of that you have to have if you want to set a goal but there's always ways to 
be a part of your community, to connect with your community, to give back to your community, regardless of what you're training for. And I wish I knew that earlier. Right. And I love this idea of community. And we all know how great it is to to find a running friend who's compatible both in your pace and in the schedule of when you can run. Uh, But that also can be really hard for people, especially for mother runners, right, who are squeezing in runs whenever they can or, or, you know, live in a rural area and don't have a lot of people to draw on. And uh, of course, another mother runner, you know, has a Mm -hmm. virtual community. Can you talk a little bit more about the value of running community? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Another Mother Runner is a textbook example of this. I mean, you said there that, you know, mothers squeezing their runs in whenever, and I'm very much doing that. One of my best friends is a professional ultra runner, and he's often saying to me about like, you know, how his day is like scheduled around his run. Like, I'm going to do my run at this time so I can maximize this. And I'm just like, I'm just, you know, squeezing it in at 5am or whatever it is it is because you know that's like the difference when you are a parent is you don't often have that choice and so yeah a group run that happens at 8am or you know 6pm is just not gonna work so those people can often feel isolated or feel like community's not for me maybe I'll do that when my kids have moved out the house but what you have created here another mother runner is a perfect example of having that community, having those people, the like-minded, similar situation, friends that you can make online, but then eventually become friends offline who you can meet in person. And, you know, when you do meetups, I know that just, I mean, I haven't been to one of your meetups, but I know that fills people up and makes them feel a part of something. And so we've really tried to speak to that in the book of all the ways community can be in your life. And we even gave some silly examples of like, let's say you live in a city where uh, Sarah, I know you're a big fan of uh, coin collecting, aren't you? On your <laughs> I found um, 27 cents today. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes. So that's, you know, that's another way of like, keeping it fun. But we talked about doing a little scavenger hunt with a friend in your community maybe you drop a few things around the run and the other Mm. the other person has to find it like we tried to give ways of whatever situation you are in Mm -hmm. finding a way to be a part of something or be connected with other humans and I hope we gave lots of examples so that even people who do feel stretched so thin can find a way to join something even if they haven't before Mm, mm. Well, and you are a living example of how to, how to build community. And uh, tell us about your together runs and what they entail. And, and I love that something good like that came out of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. So that uh, is another example of this. In the, so in 2020, I noticed that people, we were all feeling very lonely, you know, group runs weren't happening and even running with other people felt like you were putting your life on the line and you're like mm-hmm. running next to this person. And there's that little voice in the back of your head saying like, I hope they don't have COVID, um, you know, and we were all just like scared. And so I, I thought, you know what, what if I take a microphone with me on my run and I just pretend I'm running with people and my community just went crazy for it. They said how, you know, they felt like they had someone they were running with. And I, I have all these elements that really encourage people to connect, like we talked about with my why, to connect to nature, to connect to their surroundings, to connect to their body through doing body scans and senses check-ins and a mental health check-in where I literally say, how are you really? And then give people two minutes of silence for them to think about their answer. 
and people just really enjoy it and it's a way to feel a part of a community when you maybe someone is in a place where they don't have any running friends or they don't have the opportunity to be able to run with anyone and so it started out as something just a bit of a pandemic thing but I'm almost at 100 now and Mm. so it's really been you know a big journey for people but also a nice way for them to feel like they're staying in touch with a friend it obviously does feel a bit one-sided what is that term where someone knows you but you don't know them there's a word for it isn't there I can't remember the name of it like me with Brene Brown like in my head Brene Brown and I are best friends but she doesn't know it I can't remember the term of that is but yes there's a bit of that going on but it also just allows people to feel like they're connected even if they they can't be you know in person so it's been a really beautiful thing and I love it too I I really Mm. enjoy doing it how about solipsistic? Could we throw that word in to possibly mean that a little bit? You might have to say that word again. What was solipsistic? That? Solipsistic. <laughs> what does that, that mean? I think that means the world revolves around you. Oh, but, well, that, that would be that. <laughs> oh, that's if you think not that what I'd be going for. <laughs> if that's but, what you think I am, Sarah, I'm not no, sure no, 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 no. But, but if you're like thinking, like, oh yeah, Brene Brown, yeah, she's my bestie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, there's a word for it. I can't remember what it Someone is. Someone who's listening right now is screaming yeah. it out. Yeah. On yeah. Her <laughs> it's funny you said that though, because in the book, because I co-wrote it with Zoe, there was a few uh-huh. words in there that she wrote that I was like what is that? <laughs> like, um, obfuscates was one. Mm, I was like, okay. obf- obfuscates, obfuscates. When I was trying to do the audio reading um, oh, nice. of the book. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> it was like, like... There are way too many consonants all jammed together. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if, I'm glad that word, I've forgotten it already, isn't, isn't in there because that would have been stressful. <laughs> All right. So back to the book. (laughs) Um, So Tina, uh, what does it mean to be a running activist? Ooh. um, I think it means different things to different people because obviously, I'm sorry if you can hear my daughter singing. Mm, It's okay. I can definitely hear her. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, it is ramped up to a level to where I want to be taking action on a, a local, like a government level and a community level, speaking up, going to be that annoying buzzing fly at my mayor's meeting saying like, hey, um, are we going to consider this? So I've reached a point where I want to be taking action in a bigger way. I'm using my platform to speak to the things that I think are important, alerting people about things that they might not consider. But I would say that it doesn't have to mean that. Obviously, we we all have areas of running that we feel particularly passionate about. Maybe it's uh, women's safety while running. Maybe it, it is inclusion in running. Maybe it is some version of uh, making sure everyone has a safe place to run. We all have something that is passionate to us. But I think being a running activist means that you are starting to take steps in some capacity. Maybe that's just bringing up to your local running group that you think there should be something that needs changing. But I don't think activism has to mean that you are this big, loud forward-facing, public-facing person, as I know many activists who are, who I consider activists in the running space who are doing amazing work, but they are introverted, or maybe they are someone who is doing it on a, you know, going round the back, essentially, to talk to, you know, their local schools or the, the leaders at the ro- local running clubs or the race directors. So 
I think it can mean many things and we just have to find what part of that fits with us. Mm. Well, that's good because we, uh, from hosting our running retreats, we get a lot of women runners self-describing as introverts. So by you mm-hmm. exactly saying that, you know, that there's space for to be an introvert and a running activist, you just spoke to, literally spoke to a lot of the women yeah. in our community. Okay, so the last section of your book is called Sustain Your Planet. So what are some simple, practical steps a runner can take? I love that your book is chock full of them. I appreciate the action steps, synopsis at the end of chapters. So if you need, take a minute to decide on some that you think are the most important or easily actionable. Well, the first thing I want to do is say to the listeners, I'm sorry, but there is no checklist of three things you can do and on to the next thing. (laughs) Unfortunately, the reason this book is called Becoming a Sustainable Runner is because there is no end point to any Mm. of these things, but particularly with the planet stuff, there is no do these things and then you're complete or do even, you know, do all these things. Even if you did everything that we suggested in the book, you're still not there. And that's just the reality of this world that we're in is starting to wake up to environmentalism and be like oh wow yeah this is a this is here and Sarah I mean your climate Portland Mm -hmm. has my family lives there I know I mean that's a Mm -hmm. changing uh definitely Mm -hmm. seeing things you've never seen before so I think a lot of places around the U.S. are really well the world are recognizing Mm -hmm. that this is here so I want to start with that that unfortunately I wish I could give a three things but that is not it Mm -hmm. So some simple things I think people could start with. Number one, I would say is thinking about your consumerism. And that can mean, you know, not getting the latest version of the Garmin watch because it has a new feature that you maybe, maybe not will use Um, Mm -hmm. or getting new running clothes in the newest colors because you think they look cute. And, you know, we give the example in the book of waiting 24 hours from when you see something before you buy it because, a lot of the time we are trying to fill an emotional need and that's why we end up buying something because it gives us that hit of dopamine but actually we don't need that item we don't actually want that item and financially it can cost and then related to that I'd say when you do buy things spend the money to make it a better quality item so you don't have to buy another one of those very soon Um, as easy as Amazon is to do the one click a lot of the stuff on there just breaks so easily and intentionally so that you have to buy another one so that's where I really encourage people particularly with your running clothes because we are very harsh on our running clothes with the sweat and the hours that we spend in them and the the you know dirt or whatever we put them through we are pretty tough on our running clothes so I know it doesn't feel good to put that extra money into buying quality items and we think, God, that's expensive. But it really is better to get a few quality items than to get lots of little things and have to keep throwing them in the in the trash. And so with that, with every item you buy, think about where that item is going at the end of life. That is something we all need to start getting in the habit of is every item we buy, consider where it is going after you're done with it. And this doesn't mean throwing, I don't know, a reusable water bottle in a Goodwill box and being like, oh, done my part, when we all know, if we're honest with ourselves, mm-hmm. that Goodwill is not going to put a used reusable water bottle out on their shelf. So thinking about where is that item going can really help you to really consider whether you need something or whether you're just being you know, sucked in by a marketing tactic or trying to fill an emotional need 
Another thing I would say is to get in the practice of reaching out to your race directors, particularly if you know them. But even if you don't, when you have small local races, asking them, you know, when are you going to include a non-binary category in your in your races? When are you going to, you know, give us an option to not take a T-shirt? Because many runners, including myself, our drawers are filled with race t-shirts that we don't really wear mm-hmm. because of course we're buying all these other things mm-hmm. and they're just sitting there and then those never really get any use um and so having race directors want to make a race the best experience it can be for their community for their runners so if they start hearing from people that like they don't want a t-shirt and they want an option to not get shirt then they'll start listening to that and same thing with, you know, see what, what are the other things you and your running club might notice about the race that could be made better. Like start getting in the habit of getting to know or reaching out to your race directors and not in a way of like, you need to stop offering T-shirts because they are carbon <laughs> intensive and da, 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 da. But just like, hey, I really love your race. I care about this city. I want to make this the best it can. And I was just curious when you're going to, you know, make this change. Mm. So... And it looks like you were part of a sustainability team at the Chicago Marathon yep, last yep, year. Yep, and I'm doing that again this year. Yeah. Cool. And and in your book, it talks about you climbing inside commercial <sighs> trash cans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I want to know, did you really do this, Tina? And can you tell us why? Did I really do this? Not only did I really do this in Chicago, I've also done it <laughs> in New York. I've also done it in uh, Atlanta. I've also done it, where else have I done it? I'm going to be doing it in Sacramento and where's the other one? San Diego. Okay. So, so yes. you have to, you have to tell us so, so what, what you're am I doing here? So, okay. So we're talking about yeah. the, the, the wheelie bins that you wheel out to the side of your street. Those at least in Chicago, but generally in the other places too, are wheeled around to various locations. Chicago have zero waste stations all over the place. If you are running uh, Chicago, make sure you come find me. I'll be in one of those or running around between those. Um, and the funny thing is, people will do anything to avoid talking to someone about sustainability because they will climb over mountains of things to get to the bins around the back of the tents so that they don't have to engage with us. But what we have are these three bins. So you have a compost, a recycling, and a trash. And so all we ask people to do is put the correct item in the correct bin. So bottles mm-hmm. in the recycling. Mm-hmm banana peels in the compost but we are so not used to having those three options and throwing things in the same bin that people just automatically put them just lift up any bin and put whatever in there so you end up with what we call contaminated uh, streams and so when I say about climbing in them yep that's exactly what I was doing because maybe it was a banana peel in the recycling bin and if I don't get that out all of those bottles go immediately to the landfill And so, yeah, these bins, I mean, I don't know about both of your bins, but my bins are probably up to about my shoulder, maybe about my chest high. And so you can't reach Mm -hmm. into there. You have to lay it down and and get your whole body in there (laughs) on your hands and knees and climbing in. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's photos of me doing that and uh, I'll be doing it again many times. But the weird thing is, once you start doing it, it doesn't really become gross anymore. Like if you'd have told me this time a year ago that I'd be doing that, or I guess this time two years ago, I'd be doing that. I would have been like, absolutely not. 
but like it starts not feeling <laughs> gross after you do it for a while and granted with runners it's not really gross things it's usually the same items over and over again but seeing this beautiful clean stream of like you know the bags of compost that I know are then going to be turned into soil is well worth the climbing in the uh, the trash can situation knowing that that's actually going to make something that can grow something else I tell you, I practice that at my own home. My goodness, my family. It's just like you cannot recycle the entire coffee cup with the lid on it. Like I will reach in, grab it out, take off the little, you know, Java jacket, put that in recycling, Mm -hmm. then unfortunately put the rest of it into garbage and things like that. It's like, no. So yeah, you got to start small, got to start somewhere. Uh, Well, and on that note, if I can just quickly say, there's a thing called aspirational recycling. And we talked to that in the book, Mm. which means that Mm -hmm. people throw things in recycling, kind of essentially hoping for the best. But in many cases, that is so much more damaging. So if you take like a film, like maybe a film Mm -hmm. that's over a yoga pot or a film that's around a CD, uh, not that anyone Mm -hmm. buys CDs anymore, or a (laughs) film that is, you know, uh, there's there's just a lot of items where it's like glued around the edges. Those Mm -hmm. films clog up. Same with plastic bags. Like people throw that, Mm -hmm. they see the symbol in the plastic bag. They think, oh, that's recycling, put it in there. Those things clog up the recycling machine. So that machine breaks and then they lose Mm -hmm. productivity time while that is being fixed. So Mm -hmm. if in doubt with anything, like even some items that are hard to clean, like a tuna can, I know, Mm -hmm. even though that says recycling, that is so hard to get the remnants of the tuna off the can when my husband has Mm -hmm. it that it's not worth it so just throw it in the trash if you have any doubt or something is still got food in it and it's hard to get out just put it in the trash it's not worth hoping for the best because you're just Mm -hmm. risking the other items in there Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good reminder yeah so so, all right. So when I travel to other parts of the country from Oregon, I often get gently mocked for being too green. Really? And, um, y- yeah, yeah. I wonder what so, people say yeah. behind me. <laughs> very green. Very like, green. Stay away from that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know my teachers, my kids' teachers hate me. So, um, so yet, yet even this too green gal found it I found some of your lists in your books daunting, like your yes. sustainable travel packing list, you know, Tupperware, bringing your own soap, you know, it just, I don't know, getting out the door to go to an away race mm-hmm. or b- visit, you know, go on a business trip can, can be um, a whole lot of prep anyway. Mm-hmm. And it just, I was like, oh yeah, I can do some of those things. I can't do all of them. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that, Sarah, because I think that is something very important to recognize. Part of it is that we have become so used to the disposability of things that it becomes this big daunting thing. And Mm -hmm. I definitely felt that way and still do sometimes. I'm actually getting ready as we're recording this. I'm getting I'm flying out this afternoon and I haven't packed at all yet. But don't tell anyone that (laughs) Um, I I need to do that um, pretty pronto. But Mm -hmm. The items that I have to collect up, yes, it does add up. The Tupperwares, the the reusable coffee mug, the knives and forks, the mm-hmm. napkins, the reusable napkins. All those things, I know that takes up mental space. And again, particularly mm-hmm. if you're a parent, you have all these other things you need to remember. That's hopefully why I made that list easy to refer to. I also, on my website, have a printable one, mm. if anyone wants that. But I do get your point. And, I, and sometimes 
I have limited space to where I have to, you know, leave the Tupperware, take a reusable Ziploc bag, and then just be like, well, if I if I need something that the Tupperware would have been in, to, you know, unfortunately, I just can't do it. So I do get mm-hmm. it that like it is overwhelming and it is a lot, and we need to make these shifts, but it's going to take some time for us to get used to doing these extra thoughts of taking things when it's been shoved down our throat to, you know, convenience is is best. And I want to also remind people that we have been trained, literally trained by the plastic, particularly the beverage industry, to be disposable with our items. So we are fighting against years of manipulation and psychology used against us every time you are re- trying to remember to bring something reusable. And so I want to you know give people the freedom to be understand that you can do your best but it's okay if sometimes you can't be perfect about it and I hope this book in general was that reminder too in a bigger sense of like stop trying to be the perfect environmentalist or runner or community builder but just do the best you can even if it's imperfect mm-hmm. right right so you're traveling this afternoon which is a really nice segue into our next question which is um can you talk about being a passionate climate activist and still wanting to explore the world Mm-hmm. And this is a tricky one. It's something that I wrestled with for many years because I was traveling. Um, I won't ever not fly because my family lives in the UK. So even if I got rid of everything, I am not committing to never seeing my family again. And I don't have six weeks to take a boat across the Atlantic. <laughs> uh, so, you know, flying is always going to be a part of something for me. But it, it for me, I really tried to think of things in terms of like conscious intentional travel so for me whenever I go up to Chicago Chicago is a five-hour train right away I have to rely on Amtrak which yes is a bit risky and can really leave you quite far behind travel plans sometimes Um, (laughs) but that is a distance where it's a one-hour flight or it's a five-hour train I choose to take the train so when you have the option to drive or to take the train or to do something that is more environmentally conscious take it but also recognize that it's okay to, or same with like taking a business meeting. If you could take that business meeting online, can you do that instead of flying in for a one hour meeting and flying out again? But then there are going to be times when you do have to fly, but what can you do on the other end to be conscious of that? So I'm a huge fan of public transport, of figuring it out. And once you start using public transport in general, it becomes a lot easier in every city. You get the hang of it, you get used to it. It's obviously a lot cheaper, but I think I talked earlier about habits. I think a lot of it is many for many people, they come out the airport and it's habit to jump in an Uber. But in fact, maybe the public transport option would take you five minutes more or even in a city like New York, take you half an hour less um, Mm -hmm. to to get somewhere. It just requires a few extra steps and, and planning. So I really love to make the most of, you know, trains and buses and um, uh, scooters. If you haven't ridden an electric scooter, it is so much fun. Um, (laughs) Same with an electric bike. So I try and use those and encourage people to do that as much as you can. And same with restaurants, that you're going to increase your consumption of disposable items when traveling. But if you can find restaurants that do use compostable items, and I tend to, I'm a vegetarian, so I tend to use vegetarian as a search. But just in general, that for me is usually a a place that has multiple vegetarian options is probably quite environmentally conscious, 
even if not a vegetarian restaurant. So they will probably mm-hmm. have compostable packaging or they will have thought through ways to minimize disposability of things. So those are a few things to keep in mind when when traveling. Well, before we let you go to go pack, Tish has found the word perhaps that you were thinking of. Go ahead, Tish. Uh, back to the one-sided relationship. Is it parasocial relationships? Yes, that's it. All right. Oh, there, you go. <laughs> there you go. We all learned something today. Well, I already Tish knew was I listening to your every word you were saying at the same time she was Googling. <laughs> She's like, I've stopped caring. I just want to know what that is. No, no. It's a good way to end because this Wait, is not but parasocial because we're all talking together. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Who are your parasocial, who's your parasocial relationship with? I've said mine is Brene. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Okay. Oh boy, mm-hmm. um, this is going to make me sound so um, fusty and old, but uh, Terry Gross from Fresh Air. <laughs> I love that. She's your doppelganger with the short hair and the you know glasses and the. And she's so smart. I know that's so what you're smart. Too. Yes, exactly. And has a has a wildly successful podcast. <laughs> exactly. Me and Terry Gross were like this. <laughs> See, but Tish, I feel like that's maybe somewhat realistic for you to someday meet her and tell her that. But Sarah, I'm sorry, it probably isn't going to happen for you. It's going to. Oh yeah, no, I don't. I don't want uh, seeing her in concert. For, you know, now for a third time, that that was enough, and I saw that she's very happy. So mm-hmm. the mother and me left that concert okay. very content. Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. So, 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 so good. Well, Tina, always great to talk with you, and we wish you all the best, uh, you and Zoe, for the success of this book and and go off and and pack all your tupperware and your soap mm-hmm. and your you know your diva cup and all that stuff thank you so. i i well two things one it's funny when i share a room with someone and they start they pick up the packet of soap in the room and i'm like no 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 <laughs> oh exactly oh my goodness or when they you know when you if you when your kids get older and you'll see that you know if there's a soap open at the sink i mean if, if they've done that then don't open a second one for the shower yeah you know just take the one that you've used by the sink and use it in the shower then put back next to the sink and so, then take it with you, you know. when you leave the hotel so that mm-hmm, you can uh, mm-hmm. reuse it again yes yep. um yep, yeah yeah put it in old uh all the nylons that you never wear anymore and mm-hmm. tie it up and then you can use it yeah there you go yeah. and then the second thing i wanted to say was just thank you for what you have built here as I mentioned in the book Mm. like community has been a life changer for me but also I've really come to realize how critical community is to our industry and allowing people to feel like they belong I really can't say thank you enough because I know I'll say this on behalf of everyone listening like having people who get you and can in the case of you make you laugh and Um, just remind you that there's good in the world. So thank you for all that you do. It's really important. Mm. Tina, that's very sweet. Thank you very much. Very much. Thank you so much. All right. Well, like I said, best of luck with your book. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, Tish, you ready to make some changes? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, get that get your uh, little soap although you know i do have to say that so many hotels now also have soap dispensers i do then there's going to be a lot of soap dispensers in landfills one day but at least some hotels that way are, t- are taking steps you know i've heard that but i haven't seen that yet oh oh yeah definitely oh i mean um the place that we had our redmond retreat they didn't have any little bottles anything like that cool yeah. So, yes, yes. So speaking of retreats, please join us at our next running retreat, as you, Tish Hamilton, are doing. I can't Uh, wait. (laughs) It is being held November 
three to six on gorgeous Hilton Head Island off the coast of South Carolina. We bring in guest presenters, lead group runs on the flat hardpacked beach, eat delicious meals, do yoga, make all sorts of friendships, renew friendships that were made at earlier retreats or online. And it's all done with the front row seat of the Atlantic Ocean at our host hotel, the Beach House. And I do have to say, we're pretty proud. This is our third time going back there. And we have worked with the Beach House to be more sustainable in their practices. And when we went there, oh my goodness, they just kind of got a little bug-eyed at us at all the things we were asking. We were like, no plastic straws. Please use bamboo cutlery and plates at outdoor events instead of plastic or styrofoam. And last we heard that they have set up a green team at their hotel. So we kind of throw back our shoulders a little bit in in pride over that one. So, yeah, so this might be our last retreat for the foreseeable future. So if you've been debating it now, now is the time to register. And to do that, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events in the top navigation bar to find all the details and to register. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on the events in the top of the homepage. And I want to reiterate that Tish Hamilton is going to be one of our three expert guest presenters. So Tish in IRL, you can see, you know, judge whether or not there are some similarities with her and Terry Gross for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. Not napkins. That's an English word, isn't it? Uh, What do you call them? Not napkins. Is it napkins? Is that napkins. an American word? You say napkins. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Napkins. <laughs> what do we call them in England? Something different. Serviettes? No. Uh, no. I don't know. I've forgotten. <laughs> Hey, thanks for staying with us. This is Miles of Books, our bonus monthly segment that's a quick convo with Liz Waterstrott, a coach in our Train Like a Mother Club, and one of my occasional co-hosts. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. I think we need to start by you admitting slash confessing slash revealing that you haven't been reading as much lately as you typically do. That is my confession. Yes. And... I think many of you out there can share that mm-hmm. that failure. <laughs> it's not shall a failure. we call it a failure? <laughs> we shall leading not. into no. our leading into our topic today, we won't call it a failure. <laughs> we will uh, not. Uh-huh. No, I I think like most of us got a little swallowed up by the summer, whether it's just the sunshine and the the lure mm-hmm. of being outdoors or the kids. Things mm-hmm. get busy and there's less time to just sit around and curl up with a good book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I think the, the, there's not as much of an urge to be cozy. And don't you find, do you find reading, even you read nonfiction, do you find reading cozy? <laughs> uh, I guess I, in the, in the winter, you sit on the couch with a book and mm-hmm. you've got your fuzzy socks on and pajama pants and you get cozy, but Mm-hmm. In the summer, I don't know about you, I'm in as little clothing as possible because <laughs> it's always hot in my world. So. <laughs> yes. I read over the weekend laying in our hammock. That was very enjoyable. 
Um, Yes, although it is in our front yard, but it's behind a hedge. So I can hear the bus go by, hear the cars. And oh my goodness, I was laying out there on Saturday and a um, UPS driver came up to drop off um, a Wazel hat that I'm testing for our gear review. And uh, so I could tell that he hadn't seen me and saw that he had a uh, AirPod in one ear. So I didn't want to scare him. So I waited till he turned around there. I'm like, hi. He's like, oh, I didn't see you. I'm like, oh, I knew you didn't see me. <laughs> my favorite game is to sit in my office. In fact, I just saw the mailman coming up the stairs. And sometimes I just like to open the door, give him, give him a little scare like I've been waiting there all day for him. <laughs> You're three minutes late. Where have you been? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. So, all right. But you did the speaking of packages being delivered. You recently got a book on your doorstep. And goodness, woman, you made quick work of it. I did. Well, I was I was under the pressure, wasn't I? In fact, my husband, because it was a really nice weekend here, my husband said, why are you reading so much? What's going on? <laughs> and he sees me reading a lot. And so I said, I have to finish this book. But also, it was just a really good book and I wanted to finish it. Oh, good. Good. Yes. So it is the only book that we are talking about. We were going to split this up and have you talk about one other book. And you're like, no, 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 this one. There's enough meat on the bones for the entire episode. So let's end the suspense and you tell folks what book it is. The book is entitled The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough by Thomas Curran. Mm hmm. All right. So one concern I had about this book, which I admit I first heard about on NPR. And so the author is a professor at the prestigious London School of Economics. So is this book aimed more at economics folks or is this does it address personal growth and insight? Well, he is a professor of psychology in the School of Economics. And it is actually in the field of behavioral economics, which Mm. comes from the field of economics, but it is basically a look at why do we do the things we do. So I think my understanding is in traditional economic theory, it assumes that people make decisions based on factual information. But as all of us know, as all of us humans know, sometimes we do not make good decisions or we make irrational decisions. So behavioral economics looks at why do we do that? What are the biases and the heuristics we're using that perhaps encourage us to make not such a good decision? Mm. Yeah. So that said, though, it's not all just about economics. It it definitely does get into psyche and decisions and, and all that sort of things, right? There's nothing economical in this book. Okay, very good. Fear not. There is no (laughs) economical theory, no Mm -hmm. 401k talk, savings. Okay. (laughs) I don't don't really know what economics includes much of. (laughs) Those are my examples. I have to stop now. (laughs) So if you're you're concerned this is about numbers and math, Mm -hmm. just just erase that thought. (laughs) Very good. Okay. So, but I understand the author details the many shades and shapes of perfectionism. He does. So he, he gets into why are we perfectionists? Well, what is perfectionism? The many Mm. shades of it, whether it's perfectionism that we've brought upon ourselves or whether it's perfectionism that we felt uh, from the pressure that we perceive that other people or society is placing on us. Mm. And why do we do those things? And then 
why is it increasing? And then what do we do to not move past this? Because I think it, it will always be present and it will continue to increase, but, you know, kind of like a, kind of like sounds the alarm, like, well, what do we do about all of this? Mm, Okay. And as you admitted, you definitely were glued to this book. And yes, you had a deadline. We were recording this on Monday. So, uh, but also that, that you told me you really liked the perfection trap. And so let's, let's start with the page counts. As I know, that does have a lot to do with why you like or don't like a book. <laughs> and then, then go into some of the reasons why you liked it. Sure, sure. So this one comes in at under 250 pages. Mm. Okay. So 240 pages, actually less than that because the acknowledgements will be in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I like this because yes, there is a lot of research in here, but he tells a story Mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of these nonfiction books, it's just a professor or, or or a PhD just sort of spitting out their research and being very, um, like rote and mechanical about it. Mm -hmm. But he really tells a compelling story and he, he brings on this story from this place of, well, I'm a perfectionist and I always have been. And sometimes it's worked for me and against me. So what can I do about that? And so he digs into some other research, his own research, uh, and he just tells a beautiful story throughout. But he supports mm. it with enough research that you feel like he's just not spitting out a bunch of gobbledygook or, mm-hmm. you know, personal experience. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And that he also explores insecurity, which you found intriguing. Yes. Well, he's saying that this whole idea of perfection is based in insecurity. And he really felt that it was in part due to the pressure of our culture that we always need to consume more and we always need to be more and we're never good enough. And that whole idea comes from this idea of insecurity, like more, 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 because I don't have enough. So not insecurity in the traditional sense of maybe anxiety or self-doubt, but just this wide, like widen the lens to our just driving American culture of that's not enough. I, I have a hundred thousand dollars. I need to go make a million dollars. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a hundred followers. I need to have a hundred thousand followers. So, you know, how do you get past this insecurity? How do you feel like you are good enough and, and just to be happy with that? Mm, Interesting. All right. And I have to ask, is he himself, I don't remember him having um, a British accent on NPR. He's an American, right? I'm thinking he just teaches in London. I listened to his TED talk, which Mm. if, if books are a little too much, for people. I would definitely watch his TED Talk, but I do believe he had some type of an accent in that. Oh, okay. All right. I just sort of thought his perspective on it sounds like very much speaking to the American way of viewing things. Interesting. That's. I, I like you saying that the TED Talk can be, it can also be, I find that sometimes when I read a book or see a movie, something like that, then I want to kind of do a little mini immersion course mm-hmm. in it. So then you could read this book watch the TED Talk, or if you want to just listen to or watch the TED Talk and and skip the book. So, all right. Well, so you told me earlier that one great takeaway from the book is why we shouldn't always learn from our failures, which I found very intriguing. So can you talk a bit about the author's rationale on that one? Yeah, I really liked his perspective on this. So you'll often hear that there's no such thing as failure. You know, people will use the acronym first attempt in learning and how you need Mm. to turn every failure into this educational experience. 
But he's saying that that's just another way that perfectionism ensnares us into thinking that mm-hmm. even our failures have to be something bigger and better. And so he said, when we do that with failure, when we try to like find the positive or the learning lesson, we just take away from the fact that setbacks happen. And sometimes that's just a normal part of life. And it's okay to just sit with the discomfort of that and just let it be. You don't always have to turn failure into this bright learning example. You can just mm. let it be and just just embrace that discomfort. Mm. I am thinking of Megan Rapino right now as you speak. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know how well, let's try to find a, the the silver lining for why the Americans, you know, didn't make it to the you know, the next round of the World Cup, something like that it was like, no, just they lost. And yeah, that- <laughs> I mean, as, as as I feel like as runners, you know, when we maybe have a race that falls short mm. of our expectations, sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to feel the pain of that and then just move mm-hmm. on from it. Sometimes there is mm-hmm. no reason, you know, sometimes if mm-hmm. you've ever had an injury, I remember one of the most um, enlightening, but also the most frustrating things a doctor told me was Liz, Sometimes it just happens. And, and, and the perfectionist in me wanted to say, well, wait, no, no, there's got to be some way I can fix this and make sure it never happens again. And they were saying, no, you've explored everything. You just had bad luck. Maybe not even bad luck. Maybe it was just your turn to get an injury. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So Liz, I also have to ask, listening to you talk, do you take copious notes while you read? Because either that or you have amazing reading retention. I do. This book. You can always tell when I like a book because the pages are dog-eared. There's writing all over it. And I'm not saying I write. Ooh. Like I'm, I'm opening page 79 where I had a bunch of the stuff on failure underlined and I just had the word wow written there. So that way, if I go, <laughs> if I go flip through this book again, mm-hmm. I'll know that this was something that really struck me at the time. But I do. I write. And this is why I have to have the physical book in my hands. I want to write on it. I want to underline circle star. Mm. I just Mm. I I love it. Then I can go back to it. I would love to see a photo of one of those pages (laughs) because I'm called to mind of my English lit books when I would, you know, underline and write notes and then I couldn't write small enough. My handwriting would get really cramped. And, and, uh, but, but then how often do you go back and actually look at those books? Because sometimes I think I'll do that. And then I don't. It depends. Of course. I write Mm -hmm. a little newsletter for my athletes Mm -hmm. and I try to do it once a month. And so I will go back to the books I've recently read and pull some of the the bigger thoughts or some different passages out and share them with mm-hmm. my athletes. Uh, and then okay. if I'm if I'm writing something or I don't know if I have an example I want to share, I will go back to the books. I do keep. I mean, I'm looking at. I have these two giant bookshelves in my office, and mm-hmm. I do keep the books I really love, and I do go back mm-hmm. to them. Because I saw, I'm glad to know that there are specific reasons for you going back because I just thought, oh, maybe on a random Saturday at 11.30 a.m., you just stroll over to your bookshelf, pull something off and just, you know, flip through it, page through it. You know, I was like, wow. No, no. My kids will pull the books off my shelves and and look at them. It's kind of cute, but no, I don't just randomly like wander into my office, start pulling books off. It'd be funny. Maybe I should. Maybe I should just start doing that. Right. I have to say that, so I just finished Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, the book that so many people I know either just finished or are reading. And I bought a copy and I folded down a couple pages and then went back and looked at them. 
And I was like, wait, what did I, I didn't draw, I didn't write in the book because I know I was loaning it to a couple of people. And so I was like, wait, what did I want to call to my own attention on this page? And there was about, Mm -hmm. I'd say about half the time I'm like, huh, I'm not finding anything that really now speaks to me, even though I adored the book and it has really stuck with me. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, maybe I need to to get out the highlighter or the pen if I want to keep doing that. So, all right. So you mentioned that this book, The Perfection Trap, made you think about a book you read a few months ago. Yes, that book is called All the Gold Stars, Reimagining Ambition and the Ways We Strive. And the author's name, now this is a, this is a different one, so bear with me. It's Rainisford Stelfer. I think mm-hmm. I got that right. Mm-hmm. And this book was sent to me and I love the idea about it. It's about ambition and achievement and how the two get confused. And I really wanted to love this book, Mm. but it was written like a college sophomore in social stratification one-on-one. It it, (laughs) it felt to me, you know, whereas the perfection trap was very, a lot of personal experience and research. This one just felt more like a, a, a college essay. So I didn't, really love the writing style, but I love the topic. And there was one chapter in here where she shared her personal experience, which I think that should have been the whole book, her, mm. her going on that, uh, going on and on about that instead. Mm. So, but still it was, it was interesting and I like the idea of it, but, um, you know, she was talking about how we confuse ambition with always having to achieve something, but she said, what's wrong with just being ambitious about caring for other people or respecting other people or understanding people? And it was just a really interesting way to think about striving and the direction of our striving, how it doesn't always have to be outcome oriented or goal oriented. It could just be about a bigger mission that we have. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation, Liz, as I always do when I talk to you. So thanks for making time. Thank you. 